that kept saying to me, she's non-responsive, she's non-responsive, she won't open her eyes, she's not talking to anybody. And I was like, call me back on the cell phone and put me on speaker. So they did, and they had, they held the cell phone next to her, and I said, hi, Mom. And she said, oh, hi. And they were like, okay, she's responding. I was like, I told you. <laughs> this is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories, too. So, are you ready? Here we go. Okay, well, my name is Rob Zukowski. Originally, I'm from Westchester County, um, but I've been a New York City resident for, I don't know, 25 years now, and... My relationship with dementia is uh, my mother. She uh, she has dementia. She has dementia yes. right now. Yes, she uh, she has Parkinson's disease. Mm. Um, and initially, she started having bouts of uh, aphasia, where she would lose her words and didn't understand the words. Uh, eventually, she went to her doctor, and um, they told her that she had a early onset of dementia. That it was the beginning of things. It was slow at first, and then it started to move pretty rapidly. Yeah, so I guess in total it's probably been, it was 2015 when she first found out that it was, uh, that it was dementia. So 2016 was pretty good. Uh, 2017 hasn't been so great. Wow. So all of this is still pretty recent for you. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about your mom. <sighs> My mom is... Um, Mom's the light of my life, mm-hmm. always has been. I, I always think that when, when you're growing up and you're a little boy, one of the one of the worst things that somebody could call you is is a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a kid, that's like an insult. Um, as an adult, I would wear a T-shirt that says, "Yep, mama's boy, proud of it." <laughs> um, so, yeah. So me and my mother have, uh, have always been very close. I have a I have a younger brother. Um, my dad was out of the picture relatively early. Um, I guess I was about 12 or 13. So my mom raised two boys by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I certainly went through the usual trials and tribulations of, of you know, raising two boys on her own. But uh, we were always very close. And what did she do for a living? She worked in a nursing home. She did uh, census reporting for a very large nursing home uh, for like 870 residents. She did that for... I don't know, about 35 years. Wow, a long time. Yeah, yeah. And what, what is it that made you so close? Why were you such a mama's boy? I think being the oldest and having to help with things, having to see what she was going through. And I think also her, you know, helping me with a variety of things and troubles that I had growing up. Our relationship was just very, you know, supportive almost codependent. <laughs> um, so we, we always took good care of each other. Yeah. yeah. Well, as a single mom, she must have needed the help. And if you were the oldest, you were there to help, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, in my teenage years, I wasn't much of a help. I was more of a burden. But, you know, as I got older, um, you know, that, that changed to grow up a little bit. And what did you grow up to be? Uh, well, for a job, um, 
I'm a medical massage therapist. Um, I also run a wellness center um, and uh, I write for a national health magazine. I have my own column on complementary and alternative medicine for the um, HIV AIDS community. Interesting. Uh, currently, I'm going back to school for a degree in education as well. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And is, do you have a goal there? Is there a... The biggest goal is at some point, you know, my body's going to say, you're not allowed to stand up for seven hours a day massaging people <laughs> anymore. Um, so, and there's a lot of different areas considering even my experience, you know, prior to that, that I can go into with education. I've done a lot of mentoring, a lot of uh, management, a lot of volunteer management, a lot of community outreach, um, a lot of community education. So um, I think between that and the education degree and the degree in occupational health, it sets mm. me up to go into a lot of different areas. Mm. How interesting that uh, you know your your mother worked for a nursing home, yeah. and you have spent most of your life, professional life, um, um, taking care of other people. Yeah, even even before this, I worked um, in um, the LGBT arena as uh, an activist. I was the person who helped put on the New York City Pride Parade or AIDS mm -hmm. Walk or mm -hmm. um, involvement in street fairs and education and, and volunteer mentoring. So I've always been in, in pretty much in some kind of a helping capacity for my work mm. or volunteer work. You know, c coming back to your mom's diagnosis in, I think, 2015, yeah. you said, how did that come about and what was the, what was the immediate impact on uh, on your immediate family? <sighs> the immediate family is, is kind of complicated. Um, my younger brother is, is very busy with, with his life. Mm -hmm. um, my stepfather, unfortunately, does not have the capability to, to handle what's going on, um, and there are some problems there. We are at this point estranged. I knew that I had um, power of attorney. I knew that I did not know that she had gone to her doctor and changed the healthcare proxy. I didn't find that out until she went to the hospital at some point. So basically it's been me jumping in and, you know, taking over everything. I mean, there are, especially, you know, my, uh, an aunt and an uncle who have been immensely supportive. I mean, my mother is not here in the city, so it's a, it's about a two and a half hour commute for me, you know, to get up there to see her, but I go, um, every week. You know, and they will pick me up at the train station when they can, and and they've they go see her more frequently because they're near her and they help keep an eye on things. And I've been somewhat disappointed in, aside from them, I've been somewhat disappointed in how other members of my family have handled this and reacted, which is not uncommon, right? I mean, there's always right. family drama, even on simple issues. Right, even on simple <laughs> issues, you can't decide, you know, you know, where you're having Thanksgiving. Exactly. This is, a much more complicated exactly. issue. So you take it on, mm -hmm. no matter what the cost. Right. And what, what, have, what have you found to be your primary role, right? So you have, you have there is a stepfather, there are, there are aunts and uncles, and there is a brother, and you have this extended family. Everyone seems to fall in a specific role, um, uh, even if that role means out of the picture. Right. What, how would you best describe your, your role? My role has largely been the business aspect of things. You know, here's a person, you know, who's lived for 75 years and has, you know, automatic shipments coming to the house from Amazon and, and credit card bills and, you know, all these different things and, and paperwork and 
that make up a person's life and payments and all of a sudden she wasn't capable of doing that anymore. So I, I took all of that on. Um, in addition, since there were others in the family who were not involved in making healthcare decisions, it, it fell on me to say, okay, well, she can't go home. These are the nursing homes we have to look at. This is the care she needs. This is the insurance she needs. These are the medications she should be on. So I have taken on all of her healthcare decisions and all of her business decisions completely. And then I try my best to, to, to make her happy. Yeah, you know, when I do go see her, we do different things. Every two weeks, I do her nails. Um, mm-hmm. Every week I show up, I know what her favorite foods and her favorite candy is. I bring her favorite music because even though she has aphasia, she remembers the songs. So mm-hmm. we sing together and we do things to, you know, jar her memory. And she likes costume jewelry and scarves. So I always bring something because it makes her feel more connected. Like this bracelet that I'm wearing, we both have matching bracelets. So I brought one for her and one for me. And I told mm-hmm. her, see, even when I'm not here, you know, we're still connected. So I, I mean, that's more than one primary role, but that sort of encompasses um, a large part of what I'm doing. You talked about some of the joy of visiting your mom. What would be the biggest challenge you have right now? I mean, I think the biggest challenge is the emotional challenge. One of the biggest challenges is that it takes a tremendous amount of time to <clears throat> make these phone calls and seek out these services and handle, you know, her her business and her life and her bills and so on and so forth. So I've had to take a lot of time off from work um, to do that. And I'm not in the kind of field that, you know, you get paid family leave or anything like that. If I don't see clients, I don't get paid. If I don't write for the magazine, I don't get paid. Um, so it's been a tremendous financial strain in addition to having to pick up some of her expenses as well. So how do you, how do you deal with that challenge? What support do you have? Well, I do go to a, um, a dementia support group, and I found that to be helpful. Um, it's good to be around other people who are going through the same things because a lot of times your thoughts, your feelings, you're not sure what to make of them. It's good to know that other people are having these same thoughts and these same feelings. Mm -hmm. So there is a um, camaraderie there Mm -hmm. uh, that is helpful. It's good to be able to go and just get things off your chest when you need to. They, you know, can provide other resources, you know, if you need it. Like they were the ones who helped me find an individual therapist to go to, Mm -hmm. um, to deal with this. So, um, that's been very helpful. But I don't know, 90 minutes a week is, is not enough, you know, and an hour's worth of therapy a week is not enough. And I still struggle with, I still struggle with the things, um, that I have to do for myself to take care of myself. They talk a lot about self-care. You know, mm-hmm. you can't take care of someone else if you're not taking care of yourself first. I've never really excelled at the self-care bit. I'm good at taking care of other people. I'm not very good at taking care of myself. So uh, that's um, after you know all this time, that's still kind of a work in progress. Do you have kind of an organized plan for taking care of yourself and for taking care of your mom? How organized is your approach to this versus, you know, do you not even have time for organization? I don't even have time for organization. There's a, 
there was a very large pile <clears throat> of letters and bills and paperwork and forms and so on and so forth. And I try and go home every day after work and at least get through a few of them. And then there's a, a second large pile of paperwork, which is my own bills and, you know, my own life that I have to tend to. And that often falls to the wayside. I kind of take it as it comes in because something is always coming in. It's always another text. It's always another phone call. It's always another letter. You know, today I got another text from the social workers at the nursing home saying, we need these forms. We need a social security card. We need this. You know, the Medicaid planner needs this. We've only got until this date. You need to get all of these things. Well, that really wasn't my plan for today, mm -hmm. but now it is. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I leave here, you know, I will try and do some of the things I need to do for myself, but that'll be, that text message will be my focus for today. I think that things come up that don't allow you to stay on a schedule a lot of the time. She was in the hospital for the past four or five days. She had fallen they had to do some tests and kept her for things and evaluations and so on and so forth. You know, that's not part of the plan. You know, you have other plans. They're coming to do this this weekend. Well, that's not what you're going to do this weekend. This weekend she's in the hospital, so you have to focus on that. So I think that uh, the ability to be flexible and be spontaneous is very important when it comes to caregiving. That's interesting. That's uh, That came up in the last conversation I had. Uh, with a caregiver and this idea of it being an exercise and improv because you you never know what to expect exactly um, exactly can you give me a specific example of something that um, that took you by surprise in caring for your mom I got a phone call I was uh, it's been a very long day at work and I had a very busy work day coming up the next day as well at the time, my mother was still able to um, operate her cell phone. And I'd gone to bed reasonably early, and then at 3.30 in the morning, the phone rang, and my mother was having uh, delusions that she was being sexually assaulted. Mm. So I spent the next two hours on the phone with her, you know, talking her down and, and calming her down and trying to um, sort of make this see that this wasn't happening right now. You know, so a phone call like that at 3.30 in the morning when you've got to be up at 6, you know, that's that's not part of the plan. Right. You know, that's not right. what I was expecting. I mean, and that was pretty intense. I mean, there's other things. You know, she's not capable now of coming home for the holidays. But when she was coming home for the holidays, it was, uh, you know, they had to do all sorts of testing at the facility to make sure that she could get in and out of a car. And then it's, you know, a matter of, okay, we get her in the car, but then she gets very nervous because she's not used to traveling. And then you have to get her to the relatives and out of the car and the wheelchair and the stairs and the hills and so on and so forth. And how are you going to get her into the bathroom because she can't do that by herself? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of these things that you don't realize are going to be responsibilities until they are responsibilities. It was lovely that she was able to spend that last Christmas with the family, but I never thought about the concept of, okay, what happens when she has to go to the bathroom? Mm. You know, so, you know, these are, these are things that come up that, that, uh, that you don't expect. Talk to me about how your mom's reaction to her diagnosis and her current physical and mental state has been. How did she respond to the diagnosis and how does she think about her own illness? I think that my family is very largely rooted in the practice of denial. We have always been the kind of people where 
you know, there could be something wrong, but I'm not going to the doctor because I don't want to know. She did not tell me when the dementia first came up. I started to see it myself. Um, I started to talk to her doctors and hear what was going on. I knew she had Parkinson's before this point, and I knew from talking to her that the aphasia was setting in. The dementia came on pretty quick. And can you just really quickly talk about the, 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 how you understand aphasia and dementia for the listeners? Aphasia is um, an inability to comprehend or express language. So the individual who has aphasia may be able to hear you perfectly well, but they don't understand the words you're saying. And they may very may may be very well have a thought in their head that is very clear, but they cannot express the words to convey that thought. It comes out the words are wrong. Sometimes they're not words at all. They're just, you know, sounds and made up words. Mm-hmm. So it's been difficult at times to differentiate between the aphasia and the dementia. Mm-hmm. And the dementia is just the brain deteriorating. Mm-hmm. not functioning the way it used to. And that could manifest physically or emotionally or mentally. Most often there's confusion, there's memory loss, uh, there are delusions. The brain handles a lot of the a lot of the bodily functions, a lot of the organs. It's mm-hmm. it's it's responsible for doing all of those things. So as as dementia progresses, it could and does at times affect the way the physical body reacts mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so talk more about how, about her reaction to her own diagnosis and how she understands and feels about her own illness. At this point, she doesn't really understand much. I don't think that she, she really knows what's going on anymore. Even when this was first, I mean, I remember even before this was first coming on, she always said to myself, as long as I don't lose my mind, mm-hmm. um, You don't always get what you wish for. But it was something that that she didn't want to happen. She used to say that she didn't want to end up like her mother. Um, And my grandmother also had dementia, and she also had... uh, She didn't have Parkinson's, but she had other things that where she was physically disabled as well. So she did, and it largely end up, you know, like like her mother did, like my grandmother did. So I know this is, is, is something that she didn't want. At this point now, she, she doesn't really understand. She's, um, she's definitely more childlike now. She doesn't have the capacity to really understand anymore what's going on. Mm-hmm. Does she still recognize you and members of the family? She does. Sometimes it's a, li- sometimes it's a little difficult. Um, I try my best to sort of go bring her memories from, you know, far back to sort of jog her memory. She tends to remember me um, more often than not. Every time, every so often she'll come out with a wrong name, but she's lost birthdays. Um, she's lost a lot of that stuff. But usually she does, she does remember my name. She does tend to respond to my voice more than anyone else. When I tell her to eat or drink, she eats or drinks. And mm-hmm. um, when she was in the hospital most recently, they kept saying to me, she's non-responsive, she's non-responsive, she won't open her eyes, she's not talking to anybody. And I was like, call me back on the cell phone and put me on speaker. 
So they did, and they had, they held the cell phone next to her. And I said, hi, Mom. And she said, oh, hi. And they were like, okay, she's responding. I was like, I told you she would respond. They said, she doesn't know you. I was like, she's got dementia. She's scared. She's confused. I said, I'm a voice that she that she's known for 50 years. I'm the person who takes care of her. I was like, she's going to respond to me. Once somebody said to me at one of the uh, support group meetings, they may not remember who you are, but they remember how you make them feel. That's what I kind of go with. She may come up with a completely different name one day, but she knows I'm the person who brings her the silk scarves. She knows I'm the person that brings her the costume jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows I'm her son. Mm-hmm. You know, she may not remember my birthday or my name or, you know, details, but, but there are things that she does know. Mm-hmm. Does she have a favorite memory that she, that she brings up on her own, that she thinks about? Is it, do you have a go-to story that you uh, share with her? We talk a lot about, my mother was always sort of the matriarch of the holidays. Um, Coming from, you know, an Italian-American family, food was always a big thing. So I often invoke the food. Uh Um, Smart. And we'll talk to her about the recipes. I mean, even though, you know, I can't cook to save my life, I will say to her, (laughs) you know, I tried to make the eggplant parmesan and it turned out a little bit bitter. And she will start to talk about it the vast majority of the words don't make sense. Uh-huh. But her eyes light up and you can tell that the thoughts are there and she's trying to express them. And she doesn't realize that this is just a random string of words that she's putting out there. Mm-hmm. She is under the impression that she is giving me the recipe in the process for her recipe for, you know, eggplant parmesan. And I just nod and I listen and, you know, sometimes I pretend to write notes and dial things mm-hmm. in my phone and... Um, you know, so food is always a thing. <laughs> you know, food and holidays were always a thing. Um, I try not to bring the holidays up as much anymore. I used to think that it would upset her. I, I think it upsets me more than it upsets her. Mm-hmm. But food is food is definitely a memory. Um, and music mm. is the other thing. What was her favorite music? She listened to, I mean, you know, being from, you know, she was born in the 40s. So, you know, grew up sort of listening to music in the 50s. It was... Uh, you know, uh, you know Elvis Presley and the Beach Boys and things like mm-hmm. that, and then she sort of you know latched on to music in the '70s like Elton John and Kenny Rogers and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And when I took her cell phone from her and went through it, I found all the music that she had downloaded. So I always bring her cell phone with her and let her listen to those songs. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I try and find music on my phone from similar artists and so on and so forth. So I say music and music and family traditions are the things that I try to invoke the most. Mm-hmm. For Parkinson's and memory and dementia, when it comes to music, they had done a, uh, I guess it was a karaoke thing at the facility that she is at. And my aunt took a video and my mother didn't go up and sing an entire song, but they were walking around with the microphone and she sang several verses of the song word for word perfectly and it was the first time in like a year that i had seen her put words together like that and oh. I, I i just i got very emotional watching the video and i was like okay these are things that i can do with her so so music is a big thing with us you mm-hmm. know and you know her nails i mean i 
didn't get that gene. I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the son who's able to do the hair and the nails and the makeup and all of that stuff. And you know, her fingernails look absolutely mangled after I do them. But she's so excited to have somebody come in and fix her hair and do her makeup and paint her fingernails and put on the matching jewelry and so on and so forth. And, you know, then we take all the, the selfies with the phone and we take all the pictures and I upload them to Facebook and then she wants to look on my phone at all the comments and the people liking it and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And she's turned into a more of a ham because she's like, you know, she's waving for video <laughs> and she gets a kick out of, out of, out of the, uh, out of the replies. So I try and do, uh, the social media thing with her <clears throat> when I'm there. And I used to work as a photographer a long time ago. So I take I still take a lot of pictures and I have an Instagram account and I will upload the pictures to my Instagram account and I will show her the pictures because the whole point of that Instagram account is to, you know, sort of still show my mother that no matter what's going on, there's still very pretty things in the world. Mm-hmm. So I always go in when there's new pictures. I'm like, I took this and you know, this was Union Square Park in the snow at night or mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I try and keep her stimulated that way as well. You talked about the um, the nursing home staff uh, a little while ago. What has your experience been with nursing home staff and healthcare workers? What, you know, I assume that your your mom is is on Medicare and she's in a system, right? What has what has your experience with the system of healthcare and and elder care been uh, since she's been diagnosed? I mean, the the, the the nursing home staff. I mean, some people are better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been things that that I've not necessarily been happy with. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I would tell people is that if your loved one is in a facility, the more they see you, the more they see the family, the better care that your loved one is going to receive. That's, that's what I've found. When they know that there is family coming in four or five, six days a week, they make sure they're clean. They make sure they're dressed. They make sure that their stuff is in order because they know that somebody is there checking. So it is, you know, and you have to, and they've got a difficult job too, mm-hmm. you know. So when we bring in a box of Dunkin' Donuts for my mother, we bring in a box of Dunkin' Donuts for the staff as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when we bring her pizza for lunch, we bring pizza for the nurses too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, doesn't say anywhere in the contract you have to bring us donuts and pizza. Mm-hmm. So, as far as the 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 healthcare system itself, when it comes to elderly people or people in need, I think that this country is is an absolute disaster. The hoops that a person has to jump through at that age to get the things that they need, and if they're not capable of jumping through those hoops, the obstacles that the family members have to face mm-hmm. are just insurmountable. I mean, I've literally gone through hundreds and hundreds of agencies trying to find you know low-cost legal services for my mother to help with a variety of things that are going on and there's just nothing there's just nothing hundreds of phone calls and everyone says i'm sorry for your troubles we can't help try this number well i've already tried that number they sent me to you well i'm sorry we can't help god bless you Mm -hmm. i appreciate your blessings but god's not coming to court with me you know, he's not going to talk to the judge. So yeah, I think that uh, I think that the healthcare system and and how and the lack of resources for older people. I mean, I think organizations like Caring Kind are very important because they they provide services that you know are not 
readily available and accessible. But there is still a whole world of things out there that, you know, these folks don't have access to. Um, and I think it's terrible that you could raise two sons, work for 40 years of your life, you know, be a born and raised New Yorker, you know, American. And when the time comes when you are elderly and you need the most help, it's just not there. That's something that has to be fixed. And certainly as a caregiver, you never had that job before. So you are learning as yeah. you go. Yeah, this isn't something they, they, they teach you in school. I mean, I remember being in, I don't know, the sixth or seventh grade and learning how to write a check um, in math class. I remember the periodic tables, you mm -hmm. know. I remember, you know, reading The Road Less Traveled. Nobody ever taught me about Medicaid and Medicare. Nobody ever told me how to handle what it, what it was going to be like the first time my mother didn't remember my name. These aren't things that they teach you. They're things that just come up and you have to learn on your own. Um, and you have to figure it out and you have to navigate it. And, you know, that's why support groups and, and, and agencies, you know, such as this one, you know, are important because they do offer those services. I can say that the support group that I, that, that I go to has been a big help in, in, in me handling a lot of these things. I, I, would, I would strongly suggest that if people are not seeing an individual therapist or going through some kind of you know, support group that they do because it's, it's, it's a big help. Mm -hmm. Do any moments stand out for you about where you may have made a mistake or you wish you had done something differently? And at the same time, what are the moments when you think, I'm proud of myself for the way I handled this difficult situation. There are times when the emotions are so much that you just don't want to feel anything. And um, I could tell you that Stoli Orange Vodka and, you know, whiskey shots are a huge help. <laughs> um, you know, there, there, so there were many Saturday nights when, you know, I didn't go out to socialize. I went out to forget. Mm -hmm. That was my... That was the goal. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going out to see my friends. I wasn't going out to dance. I wasn't going out to see the show. I just wanted to drink enough where I didn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not helpful. I might feel good for a couple of hours, but I can tell you it makes things much worse for the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, that was a mistake in the beginning. I'm like, okay, I realized, yeah, this isn't how you handle this. So those were mistakes. I think that I also blamed myself a lot for feeling bad this takes sacrifices it takes personal sacrifices financial sacrifices career sacrifices you have to live with those there was one moment i was talking in the support group and i was you know complaining and this was actually a very pivotal moment i was complaining that i felt trapped and it's not fair and that i'm at an age where you know, I didn't, I didn't go to, go to college until I was in my 40s. That took a lot, working full-time and then going back to school to get a mm -hmm. degree in, 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 in health. Um, and that was because, okay, you're in your 40s, you're going to start planning and working and doing all of these things for what comes next in your life. What came next in my life was mom. Mm -hmm. And sure, I got the degree and I went out and, you know, and I'm still trying to, to push my life along, but... You know, 
there are things I have to turn down. There are jobs I can't take. There are days I can't work. Mm-hmm. It would be better for me if I did, better for me personally, for my future. But so I was, you know, sort of whining about those things because, you know, and really it's okay to whine. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're allowed to feel bad about this. <laughs> you're allowed to feel bad for yourself. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I was going on about how I don't, you know, have any choices. And, and, and one of the, the, the women who uh, runs the support group that I go to, she said, of, of course you have a choice. She said, look at this one and that one. And she referenced two people that I had spoken to about, about in my family. And she said, they made the choice not to be involved. You made the choice to take care of your mom. And it was the first time that I ever looked at it as a choice because there's no one twisting my arm. There's no law forcing me to take care of my mother. There's no one saying you have to take off from work on Thursdays and Fridays. There's no one. I could just push all this aside and, you know, get on with my life and save my money and move to a nice little place in Florida off the beach somewhere and, Mm -hmm. you know, I could do all of those things. I could be completely focused on my life, but that's not what I've chosen to do. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like something to be proud of. Yeah. That choice was a good decision. I mean, it's a hard decision mm-hmm. and it is hard to put into practice, mm-hmm. but it's what you choose to do. That was definitely one of the things that was not a mistake. I think that being more open with people about what's going on in your life is important. Mm-hmm. You can't do this alone. And there are going to be people I've found that are going to, you know, rally alongside you and be there and support you. And when they say, hey, how was your day? They actually mean, how was your day? Right. And there are going to other people be like, how was your day? They don't want to know. They want a canned answer and let's have a shot together. Mm -hmm. So you have to be pretty open with people and pretty honest with people. And you have to surround yourself with the right kind of people. And you have to be a little bit aggressive when people say, oh, you know, I haven't seen you in three weeks. I'm like, look, this is what's going on. So here's our options. Mm -hmm. I have this hour and 15 minutes open Mm -hmm. at my apartment on Tuesday evening. Mm -hmm. I'm inviting you over for that hour and 15 minutes. No, it's not the most exciting thing to do to sit in my living room and watch (laughs) Golden Girls reruns over herbal tea. But if you want to spend time with me, then that's what you're going to have to do because I can't be readily available anymore. You know, you have to make those decisions and getting yourself to a point where you are aggressive and upfront and clear with everybody in your life. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I can Mm -hmm. do. This is what I can't do. Mm -hmm. Accept it or there's the door. So I'm going to hate to reference a movie, but Steel Magnolias. (laughs) I always think about this one scene where where Shelby went to that long you know, very cool 80s, you know, high maintenance hair. And she had just had the son after she wasn't supposed to because she was a brittle diabetic. And she went to the hair salon to get a short haircut. And all the Southern ladies were shocked that she was getting a short haircut. And she said, I just feel the need to simplify things. And that's what you have to do. You have to simplify things. Got to be Shelby for a little while. (laughs) Got to be Shelby. Yeah. That's a new t-shirt. Yeah, then. exactly. I have the T-shirt actually that says "Drink Your Juice," um, <laughs> but, I, but I think I'm going to get another one. <laughs> and have you? Do you feel like you have been able to make that transformation into a person who maybe didn't have boundaries before, to a person who is forced to have boundaries? 
Most of the time, yeah. There yeah. are some times that the boundaries get very cloudy and, and very fuzzy because, you know, you've, you've lived for, you know, X amount of years. Never really thought about taking care of your parents. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you thought that maybe one day that might happen, but you hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you do have to put these boundaries in place. And sometimes, sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not. Most of the time, the people that I surround myself with, I try to surround myself with positive people and set those mm-hmm. boundaries. There are times that the people I surround myself with are, you know, questionable. They're, they're, they're fun <laughs> at the moment, but they're definitely not long-term. But you do have to set boundaries with people. Um, so I, I have done a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. As we're getting to a, a point where we're about to uh, close down here, what would be your advice to someone just starting out this process? I think the first thing would be that I would give them a very long, obvious, supportive hug (laughs) (laughs) and say, please take that with you and seek out many more through this process. Um, I would probably tell them that you are going to face things that you never thought that you would, and you are going to wonder how you're ever going to get through it, but you will allow yourself to be surprised by what you're capable of. I would tell them that they shouldn't feel bad about what they feel. You are going to feel angry and betrayed and put upon. There are going to be times that you think to yourself, your life would be so much easier if this person wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. Every caregiver thinks that at some point or another because it's a means mm-hmm. of escape. It doesn't mean you want your loved one to go away. Mm-hmm. It means that you're hurting mm-hmm. and that's okay. So feel whatever you want to feel. Cry when you want to cry. Yell when you want to yell. It's not weakness. If if you were weak, you wouldn't be doing this. Good advice. Yeah. Before we close, is there anything else that you want to say? Is there any story uh, about your mom or about your experience that you want to share? I've always sort of looked at, at my mother. You know, some people grow up and they grow up in a big house and in the same neighborhood and every year they go back and they have Thanksgiving in the same room and they have the Christmas trees in the same corner and they sleep in the room that they slept in from the time they were born. And we didn't have that. We grew up in apartments. So home for me has always been wherever my mother is. So I've sort of lost that concept of home right now and I sort of feel very adrift. But what I would say is that no matter what's going on with this person in your life, they've taught you things. When I think about the parts of me that I like the best, they're the parts my mother showed me. She taught me to be liberal. She taught me to take care of people. She taught me to be an activist. The best parts of me come from her. I just built on that. Beautiful. Thank you. Robert Zakowski, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org slash podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. <laughs>